Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Support for this episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. The 2020 MIPS Manual is out now on Amazon, and it's a great resource for practice administrators and clinicians who need to keep up with the changing healthcare laws. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Today, we're talking with Dr. Jennifer Leaf Yeager, the Senior Medical Director at Health EC. She walks us through some nuances of public and population health, and we learned so much from her and think you will too. So let's get started. Jennifer Leaf Yeager, we are really excited to hear a little bit more about your journey. We liken healthcare and health IT to a big puzzle, kind of a thousand piece or 4,000 piece puzzle these days, and really would like to get to know a little bit more about your piece of the puzzle. And if you wouldn't mind taking a a minute to introduce yourself and a little bit more to share with us about your journey. Sure. Thank you. First, please call me Jennifer. Okay. I chuckled before when you said, was my career path in healthcare linear? And it's anything but linear. It makes sense to me. It certainly seems linear because, you know, it moves forward in time, but it's definitely been I think folks would call it circuitous. I'm a physician trained in pediatric infectious diseases and pediatric urgent care. I didn't go to med school directly from college. I took off time and did research. Uh, I was with uh, at Columbia Presbyterian doing research after college. And then also after somewhere in there and, and during college, I also did some research in biomedical sciences It's never been a linear path. My dad used to say to us, there's an infinite number of paths between point A and point B. And so I usually just follow the next question that I have, the next thing that I want to learn, the thing that makes me excited. It's been a hip hop. So the first thing I said, I was doing research in trying to find uh, the mechanism underlying sudden infant death syndrome. And I was working on a rat pup model and fetal pig model. And uh, we did understand, we did learn about what um, nerves were necessary in order to ensure that reflex that when you stop getting carbon dioxide or carbon dioxide builds up too much, 
you're supposed to then kick in breathing and where that might fail, you might have sudden infant death. And so that really got me excited about understanding the mechanism underlying you know, pathology. So that was before med school. And then I went to med school and did a pediatric, I, as I said, I did a master's in biomedical sciences during med school and then did a fellowship, I mean, a residency in pediatrics and then a fellowship in pediatric infectious diseases and practiced for a little bit, did some work in associated with the local health department where my where I was practicing and got involved in epi a little bit and in um, preparedness activities way back when with avian influenza. I was very excited about that. And after my ID fellowship, I joined CDC as Epidemic Intelligence Service Officer. It's what folks sometimes call those disease detectives. And I did that for a couple of years and then came back, missed medicine, worked with vulnerable populations in uh, urgent care, in pediatric urgent care, and then was brought in to assist with the New York City's efforts on addressing their Ebola case and preparedness there. So joined the New York City Health Department working on Ebola preparedness and emergency in their emergency preparedness and response office. And then uh, my daughters really wanted to return to Boston, as did I, and went back to Boston and joined the Boston Public Health Commission. I was doing research consulting for initially the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, looking at bed modeling scenarios for the opiate epidemic, and then joined Boston Public Health Commission as the Director of Infectious Diseases and Director of Population Health. And then was uh, interested in, as I got more into public uh, population health, uh, really interested in how health IT is really necessary for public health, the idea of, or population health. The, the ideas of bringing in all of these data streams in order to you know, really make a, a difference in health and health outcomes was has been around for decades, but we didn't have the technology to support that. And I learned about Healthy C, where I work right now, and had conversation with them. And I'm now their senior medical director. And so that sort of brings me here. So... <laughs> As I said, I've kind of been all over the place. Can you tell us what it is you're doing exactly right now as the chief medical director for Health EC? Tell us a little bit about what their purpose and mission is and then how you're a part of that. Health EC is a population health technology management company. And what they do sort of better than anybody else, I would have described as magic not too long ago. They are able to pull in data from really any source, any system, any format, and extract data from, you know, either systematic data or even text through natural language programming or NLP, and then aggregate this in a way that allows the business intelligence behind all of this, the data analytics and and even work in machine learning and AI to pull this together and put it into a format that allows systems, either physicians or physician groups or healthcare hospitals to actually understand at a population health level, at the population level, the the significant issues that are present. So that sounds like a lot of jargon, but it's it's actually the most succinct way of being able to describe it. So what does that actually mean in, in reality? I guess 
one way of, I'm going to step back, and this is for maybe the students in the audience. When I learned about what the difference was between health and public health and population health, it came down to understanding that a a good description of, of public health is smoking is bad for you, right? So healthcare and research, we all know that tells us this is bad for you. So public health is putting out PSAs or public service announcements saying smoking is bad. And you can even go further and have an impact on policy and put those warnings on the side of cigarette boxes and say, we you know, definitely don't smoke. And you can do all these education campaigns. That's good public health. Population health is then taking a look and saying, what parts of the population are actually smoking and where is the advertising targeted and who actually gets lung cancer, right? Because not everybody who smokes get lung cancer. So what parts of this population, what parts of, of our community are at greater risk for getting lung cancer if they smoke? And when do they start smoking? What are the triggers for that? So that you can start seeing, well, you know, if you're an African-American, you're much more likely to die of lung cancer if you smoke than if you were white. Why is that? Is that because, again, there's advertising that's targeting African-American population? Is that because they have poor access to health care? Is that because there's uh, fewer advertising campaigns um, telling them not to smoke? There could be a thousand and one different reasons, but we see a disparity within that population. And that's the purpose. That's the gap. And that's what we, we need to address. So a lot of population health focuses on health disparities and improving health equity. So it, what we do is, how would you know which populations are at greater risk? You need to have a lot of data on a lot of different people. And when you see that in your own population, you need to be able to then address those gaps. What are the criteria for good health care and quality of care? And what are the outcomes? And then who are your high-risk patients and how do you reach them? All of that requires technology. And that's what Health EC is able to do. And they do it quite brilliantly with large populations. That's wonderful. Thank you for actually, that's a really helpful explanation between the difference of public health and population health. And to your point, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Can you speak around what has your life been like and around the population health even over the last month or two? With all of the data that you guys have collected over at Health EC? Along the lines, just about everybody that I know at Health EC, I can tell you that my day starts at around seven. And at least in the first several weeks of this, like this week has been a little bit uh, slower, but I wait, I start working around seven and I stop at around one. That was the, the first several weeks. Being able to try to tweak everything that we do around COVID-19 and so the first question that we looked at was, and several other companies, of course, were doing this, and healthcare systems and the practices themselves and public health, where we heard from other countries who were at high risk. And so we had a, a place to start, but we needed to be able to identify them. So again, this is for more the, the sort of um, older folks in the audience, perhaps, but Medicare that serves a population of 65 years of age and older. And Medicaid serves individuals who have chronic, underlying chronic medical conditions. Those are the people who are at greatest risk for COVID, right? So we know people who had hypertension or cardiovascular disease or diabetes, these chronic diseases, they're at greater risk. 
And we know that one of the reasons why people ended up getting so sick was from pulmonary fibrosis and pneumonia. And so we know people who have underlying lung disease are at greatest risk. And then we started learning about people who had chronic kidney disease or liver disease and folks who were obese. And we learned very quickly that many underlying chronic diseases would increase your risk. So that's the entire Medicaid population. (laughs) So how do you reach all of Medicare and all of Medicaid population across the country? That's millions of people and you, and you, (laughs) you can't reach them all at the same time. So what we did was try to identify who the people within that group were at highest risk, understanding what the risk factors were, taking a look at prospective risk scores, folks who had been in the hospital within the past year, people who were on medications every day, particularly steroids, and try to understand using prospective risk analysis and frailty indices and likelihood of hospitalization and all these other risk stratification indices, along with what we, we know of the individuals who have meet these criteria and folks who have accessed medical care in the last year, meaning that they, they're actively ill, these are the folks that you want to focus on. And then uh, narrow that down even greater to within the folks who are going to get sick, who are the likelihood that are going to actually be in an ICU? And those are the folks that you want to do real good preventive medicine for. So that's what we did identified for our clients that we work with already, we would take a list of their patients that could be 100,000 or more or over a million and be able to narrow it down to a manageable number as in a couple of hundred or per provider group so that they can then take their care managers with a list in hand of the highest risk. They don't have to they can't sort through a million people or 100,000 people or their 55,000 people, but we can within a couple of hours, be able to generate the, this logic and then apply it to this population and give them a list that uh, gives the underlying risk conditions and why we think they are at highest risk and the telephone number, and then they can have their care managers call them up. So rather than spend all their time trying to identify who to reach, we can give them a list and they can start and maybe reach 30 people a day. And we then created a, an assessment that uh, and these are part of the projects that I was involved in, and then uh, create a, an assessment that just with uh, seven questions, the care manager can identify whether this person should immediately go to an emergency room or could be followed up over the next one or two days by their provider. And again, very different scenario here. It's individuals are at high risk now of, ca- of contracting the infection and becoming severely ill. We don't want them necessarily going to the hospital and becoming exposed to people who are there or being, you know, using public transport to get there or having to wait in a waiting room and be exposed to people. So it's a very different, we all of a sudden had to shift from a face-to-face healthcare system to a telemedicine system and make sure that it was safe, make sure that people aren't being missed and make sure that all their needs are being addressed. And so that was the purpose of our assessment. Then you have a list of people that, you now, that you've reached that also need to be seen tomorrow or they needed to go see, come in today. The, the risk of being home was worse than the risk of going to the emergency room. And so we helped to identify that for the healthcare systems we were working with, the providers and practices. Of course, we, we are not providers. So 
We're not trying to substitute for that, but just to help them with an algorithm of folks that they can reach and do an assessment and then say, yes, I agree, these people should be seen today or tomorrow or next week. But then this goes into the population health management platform that we have that would auto-populate all of this information for them and then trigger alerts and recommendations for the following day so that now when you show up, you might say, this person needs to be seen and I need to call them back in a week. So week goes by when this care manager checks in and you know opens up their platform, they get the alert. These are the people that you were going to follow up today. Again, and then all you need to do is click on their name and there's their telephone number, all the information that you had from last week. And now you can just give them a call. How are you doing? All of that. I think the, uh, the other thing about population health that people talk about now, what technology is able to bring into it is all of the different aspects of one's life, particularly education and economics that flow into the other things that impact your health, like access to care and transportation and adequate nutrition and stable housing. And when you have people who are now isolated and and have to stay at home, how are they then, you know, if you're 80 and you're at great risk of of COVID, we know that that's one of our high-risk populations and their family isn't coming, able to come and visit them because of social distancing, how are they getting their needs met? And so Part of the assessment that we helped to build was addressing the social determinants of health that were negatively impacted by social distancing. And uh, in addition to that are the, the depression and the worsening of pain that you have when you're alone and isolated. And so we built the uh, depression scales into our assessment as well as um, pain and disease and for them, uh, care managers to address, are all of their needs being met? And do we need to have meals on wheels, dropping off their meals, or do we need to address their pain in a different way? And we do we need to make sure that social workers contacting them maybe once every other day or once a day just to have personal touch points? So all of these things are then built into a platform that could support telehealth and good health management for these individuals who are now coming to the emergency room and being seen as often. So that's a lot of what we were building over the last couple of weeks. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt, but we wanted to let you know about a way you can support Hit Like a Girl podcast directly. We've partnered with Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, as a way for us to connect with our listeners and fans in a direct way and ask them to support us so we can continue creating more great content like this episode you're listening to. Patreon.com is not so much of a one-time contribution, but more like a subscription to provide support to independent creators like us. Patrons who pledge even just $2 a month give us the stability we need to continue producing podcast episodes. In return for your patronage, we're offering virtual high fives, personalized thank you notes, and even shout outs on our episodes. When you become a patron of Hit Like a Girl podcast, you're supporting our channel directly, so we won't be making podcast episodes for some viral audience or for ads. We're making them for you, our listeners. This allows us to focus on topics related to women, healthcare, and technology. With your support on Patreon.com, we're able to spend that time having meaningful conversations and doing more great work that can positively impact the lives of other women in healthcare and tech. So join us on Patreon.com and let's make something amazing together. 
Could you explain to us a little bit about maybe what you're experiencing, whether it's with COVID or population health, about that that downstream action that happens with the care manager, the physicians and the nurses? It sounds like Healthy C is creating a really comprehensive snapshot of clinical factors, including mental health, the socioeconomic factors, all the SDOH stuff that's a buzz, to really create a very accurate picture. But I'm sure as a physician, you know, really that those actionable insights, it's the action that will make the difference to mitigate an adverse event, make sure that patient is staying well at home. What are you seeing your clients do either with certain populations in certain disease states or even just the COVID stuff that do any of those bright spots or that those stories come back to you guys about what's actually going on in the lives that are impacted at the end of the day? Absolutely. So I'm new to uh, Healthy C. I've been there, I think, four months now, five months. And I'm inspired, I have to say, by the work that they are able to accomplish every day. I'm, as I said, I'm a a physician. And uh, until I just recently, I continued seeing patients, even when I was with uh, Boston Public Health Commission, I worked in a pediatric urgent care one night a week just to make sure that I stayed relevant and had that person-to-person contact. I've just moved from Boston to New York, New York, the New York, New Jersey area for this job. And I was just about to set up a, find a clinic to start working in again uh, when COVID hit. So once this is all, we get back to our new normal, I will get back into some patient care as well. Uh, But one of the great things about Healthy C is that even though it's population health and you're talking about the largest community as being sort of their client, it all comes down to how is the impact, you know, at the end of the day, who did you help? You know, how many, it's not how many, but within these individuals, you know, how are you able to make it an impact? And I guess one of the easiest sort of examples is really diabetes, right? So, you know, we know that hemoglobin A1C's lab is a blood test that helps to indicate or helps to uh, identify the level of, of control that you're having in your diabetic. And if your blood sugar is out of whack, that's going to be elevated. And if your blood sugar is well controlled, it's going to be within the normal lower range. And so the Centers for Medicare, Medicaid, and CMS, they have their quality metrics and say, you know, these should be checked with your diabetics X number of times a year. And you need to, you know, good control equals a, a level of X. And so if you are... And why is, the policy, why is that important? It's important because folks who have good control have better quality of life, fewer consequences of their diabetes, fewer uh, lower risk of having amputations and not going to the emergency room and not getting admitted to the hospital and have a, a good quality of life. And ultimately, that's good also for the system because now it has lower costs and strains on the system. And so you're not overusing the system. And so it helps to decrease overall costs. And so everybody benefits. But in order to do that, you need to identify one who's at risk and then bring them in, right? So it's all part of identifying where the gaps in care are. And then a care manager who can reach the individual and say, call them, call Joe and say, hey, Joe, we noticed that you have not had, you know, you've missed your last two visits when we were going to check this level. And so you're behind in getting, you know, blood work done. What's going on? And you may find out that Joe just lost his job. Or you may find out that Joe or his wife just got a job, but they only have one car. And so he can't get to his appointments. Or you might find that there's an issue with childcare. Or you might find that 
got something else going on and that, in fact, he's lost his home. And now his priority is getting himself and his family into shelter as opposed to getting his blood sugar under control. So there may be lots of different things that are going on and not just this, you know, what, what would typically happen. And I've been in, I've worked in clinics all my life and in the hospital. And when somebody doesn't meet their appointment, you put NKDA, DNKA, did not keep appointment. That's the notation. And then you see the next person who's there. And you, you pull up your list, the roster of your patients every day in the, you know, every clinic, and you'll, you can track, did this person come and meet their appointment last time? No, yes. And then if they don't, you don't necessarily have the time to call that person. You might, but if you, you know, and if you are scheduled to see 20 patients in an afternoon, you may not have time to reach them. But your care coordinator for the practice should be able to. And rather than just have a notation that said this person didn't meet their appointment, why? And rather than in the past where people, where systems would just send a letter to that person saying, we've noticed that you haven't kept your appointment, you have this appointment scheduled, we're reminding you. As opposed to just having a a one-directional remind, the idea of population health and what Healthy Seas platform and module allows individuals to do is identify what that problem is and to document it. And then within this module is actually do these various assessments. So we have assessments built into the uh, platform. So if you have somebody who seems to where you're concerned about their housing status, you can ask a couple of questions. And then within that, there are links to, and we can send them information to support finding housing, secure housing, or um, is there an issue with food insecurity and do we need to send meals on wheels? And is there a problem with childcare and do they need you know, some support there? Or is there a concern about domestic violence in the house and do we need to send uh, follow-up on that aspect? Is there depression that's occurring and do we need to make a referral to uh, a mental health provider? Do they not understand what their medications are? Are they taking their medications appropriately? Do they, you know, where does health literacy um, there? And so all of these assessments are built into the platform. And so the care manager doesn't have to be an expert in everything, but they have these resources and they can make the assessment and then they can refer them to the provider who can then see them for help them to address all these issues. So they come in and they get their blood sugar checked. So at the end of the day, it's, it's really about the individual. And you see that all the time. We get feedback from, you know, quote unquote, our clients, these you know, large provider groups or hospitals or systems, or, or as I said, you know, the government, the Medicaid groups across uh, numerous states that will say, you know, will we'll give us the data or we, we generate the data for them, which shows how many gaps they've closed and the improved quality of care of the improved healthcare quality of the individuals that they're serving and the lower costs of to the system as well, because good prevention decreases the uh, you know, unnecessary emergency rooms and hospitalizations. And so we, we see that every day in the work that we do. So Jennifer, you had mentioned earlier that you feel like maybe the work that Healthy C does at a, before you came into the organization felt a little bit magical. And we try to introduce a little bit of magical thinking into each podcast. We like to ask each guest, you know, if you lived in a magical world and were able to, you know, snap your fingers or wave a magic wand, you know, there's so many issues out there that are really complicated and complex. If you had the opportunity to solve any problem in healthcare or health IT and just take all of those 
obstacles away. What would you solve and why? I had just mentioned it moments ago is health literacy. I think as I was thinking about that question, knowledge is our friend. And if you understand really what is important to maintaining your health, then you are an active partner with your provider. But I would start even before that. I don't remember what I learned in health class in high school or middle school, but I just remember it was a single day, not a course, not part of the curriculum. And we all giggled a lot. And it probably had something to do with what they called sex ed. And it wasn't really health literacy. But nowhere, no one person on this planet doesn't need to know about their own health care. I mean, some people will be blessed with good health and some people will unfortunately have, you know, suffer chronic diseases, but everybody accesses the healthcare. So I don't understand why, in fact, understanding one's health and healthcare and the healthcare system isn't part of the curriculum within our education from kindergarten on. So you, you teach it to the extent that you, you know, at age appropriate levels throughout but I think that if we had greater understanding about healthcare and health and what's important, you'd not just have greater you know, responsibility and autonomy at the individual level. So people really understanding an example that obesity has such a long-term, broad, negative impact on your health and that exercise even a little bit, but consistently is so important that if you really understood this, kids would probably be doing more of that just because it's natural anyway. And it would necessitate having a greater health understanding of the population. It would necessitate greater transparency. Doctors and pharmaceutical age industry and healthcare systems, you know, knowing that they're dealing with an informed client, so to speak, would have to be more transparent. And billing would be would require you know to be more transparent. The inequities in our system would would not be tolerated because people would see that and understand that that's not okay and that would be addressed. So I think in my magical thinking, I think that if if everybody had a greater understanding of health and healthcare and payment systems and the things that in fact impact them every day and really had, they don't have to be experts, but a greater understanding there'd be greater transparency and greater justice in our health delivery. And I think that would benefit everybody. That would be my magic. I think that that sounds so seemingly fundamental. And if I think about, you know, what I did for health class and PE, and now as a mom to a nine-year-old and a 15-year-old, and I look at the limited amount of information they have, it's really sad. And I love how you bring up the end-to-end impact of what that could mean for just understanding of what's going on. The EOBs that are coming in the mail and these other things are the long-term impact of you know being overweight and just how simple little things could be helping. And uh, with my oldest daughter, we do something. She talks about, she tells me, what real life things do I need to know? You know, so we talk about mm-hmm. cooking taxes, <laughs> right? Like what it would mean to be an entrepreneur, all these things. I think that's one of those things that, you know, you kind of instill, but certainly isn't a priority. And and I think moreover, working inside of healthcare, really having that ingrained in me from, you know, professionally and even just being passionate about it. We had a son who got very sick with a rare disease 
And I thought how well equipped I was to handle it on my own, knowing physicians, knowing people in expert places. And it couldn't have been less true. And I think to myself, to hear you say that now, when people are struck with a curveball or when these complex things come up or things that might just be inherent to their DNA, how much better prepared they would be to manage it or advocate for themselves or their loved ones if they'd have that type of understanding and education of health literacy. Right. And, you know, I think knowledge is power. I remember learning about what post-billing, past-billing, things that are actually not allowed. But people pay these bills. They keep coming in and then they keep paying them. And they go, why am I getting another bill from the doctor? And then you say, well, why am I getting another bill from the hospital? Why am I getting now a bill from the lab? Why am I getting a bill? Like things couldn't be more obtuse. And they're done, you know, and that to me, is probably on purpose to tell you the truth. Gosh, I'm not even sure I should say that. But my guess is that if we had a better understanding again, of the, of the finances that go into healthcare and, and not at the expert level, but at a real basic level that the systems would, again, necessarily have to be more transparent because we would understand that this didn't make sense and it wasn't okay not to make sense. I think when we don't feel like we have enough understanding of something, we don't ask questions. We don't say, well, wait a second, why am I getting this? And is this really right? And, you know, I feel lucky that I'm in this environment and understand this, but the same kind of thing, if I go to buy a car, you know, I have to bring the people with me that know about cars because I don't. And, you know, that's not even as important as my kid's health. So, you know, as I said, that would be my magic bullet. I think you're making a really good point that when things are complicated by design, it automatically gives somebody, well, at least the people who understand, an upper hand. So to that point, knowing that healthcare and health IT is so complicated, when you have an opportunity or when you are like trying to keep your finger on the pulse, where do you go to keep up? Because as we know, things are changing, not just you know week by week or month by month, but these days certainly hour by hour. So do you have any go-to resources that you go to to help you kind of stay on top of things? I do. My two favorite journals are Modern Healthcare and Health Affairs. They are written at, at various levels not that, you know, I, I think high school students would get a lot out of, you know, I no, I don't want to say get a lot. It would be maybe a little bit dense for high school students. But I think that if you're interested in this field, just even understanding the topics would be great. If you're just reading, even if you're starting out thinking, well, even in, in high school, I would change my mind. I think even in high school, you're thinking that you want to get into some aspect of the healthcare and whether this is health IT or whether it's hospital administration or whether it's public policy, if you're interested in this area, I would start reading just the abstracts and see the topics that are there because the variety of ways to contribute to this field is seemingly limitless. And you don't even know what's out there until you, you start seeing, wow, so there are people who were investigating this and there are people who are studying that. And I never even thought about this area. And it's, some of it is science heavy and some of it is very math heavy and some of it is economics heavy and some of it is policy heavy. So it's, it's not, it's, there's a variety. In terms of where I am, I've been at the intersection of 
public health and population health within government and within the hospital systems and then seeing patients and trying to understand value-based care and CMS, but also making sure that the right types of social policies are in place. And so the, the variety of different things I'm interested in will show up in these two journals. And they're, as I said, they're very well written, they're up to date, and there's a little bit of something for everybody, quite frankly. You can't read everything. You know, no, you that's so true. But you can scan it and, you know, see what's there and then say, oh, I need to read this. But I also do look like that absent-minded professor in the, you know, in, in movies where in, before I, I started getting a lot of the journals online, <laughs> I had stacks and stacks and stacks of, of journals that were, you know, floor to ceiling practically in my, in my study. And my daughter would say, what are you doing with all this? I'm like, and you don't know. Oh, I have it all organized. And these are the ones I'm going to read about this. And those are, and I'm going to get to reading those sometime. So you can't read them all, but once you have them online, it makes it much easier to, uh, to be able to sort of scan briefly. Oh, I've got a couple of minutes. I'm going to see what's there. So I find that really very useful. Dr. Alicia, if people want to catch up with you, if they want to learn more about Healthy C or they want to connect with you personally, mm-hmm. what are your socials? What's the best way to connect with you? I'm trying to get better about being uh, responding to folks on LinkedIn. And so you can certainly feel free to reach me there. And the only reason I'm not giving my email is it's not a great way to reach me. there's just too much email that comes in and things get lost. So really the best way to do, and what I would say is when you reach out to me, put in the subject line or something that that you heard me on hit lag, and uh, I will know to prioritize this and that it's current. So please, you know, feel free to to reach out. I, I love mentoring. I really love teaching and I'd be happy to reach out to, um, you know, talk with anybody there who's interested. That's very generous of you. Thank you so much. We will reach out and let the Hit Like a Girl community know. So thank you very much for your time today. We really, really appreciate all of your insights and we look forward to sharing with our listeners. So thank you again. My pleasure. It was uh, lovely talking with you all. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybird.com.